Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends. Welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. One more time, this is John Russin, and I'm here today with Pastor Frank Friedman. Frank, it has been a hectic morning this morning. Sometimes I feel like I'm juggling three, four, five balls in the air at once, and I'm retired. I can only imagine what some mornings are for you having a full-time job and the Our Resolute Hope ministry. You know, it's, that's what makes this afternoon wonderful, John. It's kind of like the opportunity to, uh, I don't know if you remember the old Seinfeld episode where the dad would say, serenity now. Oh, yes. And oh, yes. <laughs> it's... Uh, this is serenity now. This is a real joy for me to uh, unite my heart to yours and uh, try with all our best that we have to minister life to people. So uh, this is serenity now. Wonderful. I'm glad we're here. And for our listeners, Frank and I are going to take a break from our ongoing series, Journeys and Stories. And at the request of some of our listeners, we're going to begin to look a little more deeply into some experiences that we had together over the years. And they focus around a single question. When you understand Christ as life, how do you introduce that into a local church, especially one that has a history of not teaching Christ as life, of, as most churches do, blending little bits of old covenant with the new, adding a dash of tradition and liturgy, and coming up with a gumbo that oftentimes can be very confusing. Mm -hmm. And so between Frank and I, together we have worked now for a number of decades to try to change the focus of a church. So that's going to be our focus for the next several podcasts. It's been a decades-long journey uh, for both of us, a few years longer for Frank than for me. Of course, he learns more quickly than I, so <laughs> even though our times might be relatively close in duration, I don't listen as well as he does. So I'm going to begin by asking Frank a question. When you took your first full-time pastorate at Berean Community Church in Delaware, what was your original philosophy of ministry, and how did you pull it off? Boy, John, that's a, a very important question because you have to have a plan. Uh, you know, the old adage, if you aim for nothing, you're sure to hit it. And uh, so it's very important to pull out of the scripture a plan, a philosophy uh, for people to find Christ and then grow in Christ. But maybe before I answer that, John, you, as I was listening to you, 
talk about bringing grace to the church. You know, I, I, I've observed a phenomenon now for 30 years, and that is that a lot of people who find the new covenant, Christ as their life, their union with him, that they've been made righteous, they're no longer under the law, but under grace. This phenomenon is that they, uh, so many of them, on both the teaching side and the student side, leave the church. Um, the teaching side, guys uh, start up their own ministries or they just quit or they become an author or a counselor. And then the people in the body are unable to find a church that teaches this message. It's very difficult for them to try to communicate it in that assembly. And then they too end up leaving the church. And so uh, for our listeners, John, I, I would just want to say, I really think this next set of podcasts can be very powerful and beneficial because you and I stayed in the church and it was not an easy road. Uh, we made a lot of mistakes. Oh, yes. But, but we, and a lot of mistakes were done to us, <laughs> but we stayed. And I, it was a tremendous classroom learning experience for both of us. So this, I think, can be really a powerful next few weeks for us. Well, that's an interesting observation because you're right. I've lived in different places around the country. And the question always arises first in your mind. When you move someplace for a job, what kind of churches are available? And almost without exception, there is no place where the name of Jesus is lifted up, not only as savior, but as life. Mm -hmm. And so I've been in this mess before I've searched, found nothing, bounced from church to church, had church at home, and then working together with you to, to be committed to stay in a church. And then seeing what happens as we have to basically take, I hate to use this picture, but you have to take the bull by the horns and steer an already robust enterprise and change not only what you do and how you do it, but why you do it. Mm -hmm. You've got to change the thinking, change the mind. And when the mind changes and the thoughts are now correct, the ministries begin to change. And so I guess that was where, kind of where we started. You have to begin by changing the minds of some of the people in the church so that you'd have enough critical mass to be able to first encourage each other, teach each other, share life with each other. And then as Father Leeds work together to teach the message of life in whichever arena he opens up for us. So that's where we're going to begin. Yeah. And you just, it. and you said the worst six letter word to change. What's that? Change. change. Oh gosh. Yes. People don't like change. So I'm looking forward for the opportunity in these coming weeks to, for you to share your unique perspective as I share mine. And, and I think it'll be a blessing to people. Okay. I wonderful. hope it will be. Um, Good. Let's go back to the first question now. Your sure. first pastor at Philosophy of Ministry. Uh, what were your goals and how did you work to sure. pull them off? Well, um, you know, in seminary, it's very much Bible centered. 
which is good. Uh, you have to learn the Hebrew, the Greek, church history, and of course, you're you're learning to be an expositor where you pull out truth from father's word rather than speak into father's word and so the philosophy of ministry came right out of the new testament and it was very simple uh second timothy 3 16 17 uh the word of god is inspired by the holy spirit and it's able to be used in the hands of that spirit to teach to correct uh, to exhort to establish in sound doctrine so it was like, uh, I'd liken it to like a carpenter with his hammer. I had my Bible. And so then Ephesians 4 was the other marching order, which was basically that the Holy Spirit had given pastors to the church, and they were supposed to, as their number one goal, equip the body. And so it wasn't so much uh, stroke the body, you know, run around, visit everybody and, and play the nice guy and get fat on punch and cookies. It was study hard, learn, because you can't teach what you don't know. And your goal is to grow the church up so they stand mature in Christ, will no longer be tossed by all the false teaching that's out there, and they fully mature Verse 16 will edify each other, build up each other in love. So that was the philosophy of ministry, and it's centered on the Bible. Okay, you enrolled, you engaged in this process, you had a group of elders, and so how did you make that happen? What were the fruits of this focus on scripture? And it's not a wrong focus. Mm-hmm. It's it's not in error. It's not misdirected. You haven't missed the mark anywhere. How did that work out? What were the emphasis? What were the what were the fruits of these efforts? Uh, what worked? What didn't? And what I'm looking for, Frank, is eventually to get to the point where uh, you decided that this really wasn't enough. There was more, yeah. and you wanted more. Yeah, it's I I would say, John, the fruit was multifaceted. And what I mean by that is we have the promise in Father's word that his word will not return void. And so my job, my mentor told me this. He said, you take care of the depth of your ministry and let God take care of the breadth. Don't worry about growing the church. Teach, grow the individual. And so multifaceted in this respect some people really grew up mature in Christ, and it was wonderful to watch. The flip side of that is that philosophy, in my understanding now, was incomplete. And you say, Frank, how could that be incomplete? It's the Bible. Incomplete in this way, that if my teaching does not steer people to a dynamic encounter with the living Jesus, my teaching ministry is falling short. Uh, The goal was in those early days was to give them knowledge. It wasn't necessarily to give them life. And I I didn't understand that. And so um, some people, no matter how much you taught them, Uh, didn't seem to grow. And I think that's because I 
this is hard to admit, but I kind of left the Holy Spirit out of the ministry. Um, so to the point that, you know, when my eyes were open to the new covenant, uh, some people caught it very easily, but what I would call the knowledge hounds <laughs> um, were so technical, so needing to be right. So um, you didn't say it correctly, uh, got offended. And I'll just give you an illustration to kind of explain what I mean by this. You know, Bill Gillum, and yes. he's now with the Lord. And he was explaining on a video that God is outside of time. And so he sees 2000 years ago in the present tense. He sees 2000 years from now in the present tense because he's outside of time, not governed by time. Well, Bill used the illustration and he said, it's kind of like God is up there in a helicopter. Oh my goodness. Uh, the knowledge hounds, God in a helicopter. And <laughs> it, they were so focused on the language that they missed the purpose of the language, which was to try to illustrate a very important biblical reality uh, so that, you know, God sees you in Christ, even dead in him on the cross 2,000 years ago when you weren't even here because he's outside of time and he can do that. Um, so just to sum this kind of up and then let you take it wherever you, you want to take it, the Holy Spirit wants to take it. It was, I came to understand two very powerful verses. One is Hosea 4, 6, which says, without knowledge, my people are destroyed. Very important. But then 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, knowledge will puff you up. So it's, it's amazing. The very thing that will, you can't live without will destroy you if it's not leading you to a dependent intimacy with the author of life, the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what was missing in my own ministry. I remember sitting in your congregation very early. Uh, I'm not sure that you even knew who I was at the time listening to a message and having the impression of, wow, this guy, this guy's really cocky. <laughs> he really thinks he's something else. He really thinks he knows a lot. Mm. And um, it was really off-putting, my friend. Mm. It truly was. And I know it's, it was true like that for me as well. I was off-putting also because I too, dived in deeply and was very proud of that, hung a lot of my identity on that. So what we thought was our success really turned out to be more of a failure or missing the mark than a, than a success. So then you receive the, the new covenant and father began, and I use the word began because it's a process. He began to open your eyes into Jesus Christ as your life. What began to change in your ministry? I think um, instantly was an acknowledgement in my own heart that I had missed life. Uh, I had basically kind of received a gospel that Jesus died for my sins so I could go to heaven. 
but I was still responsible to pull this thing off. And it was almost like the law was still my guide with the name of Jesus on it. And that wasn't what the New Testament was teaching, as we know. We died to the law so that we could be married to Jesus. And that's how we bear fruit. So as I realized that life was not found in the written word, but only in the person the written word pointed to, that I, I began to experience God in a way I'd never experienced him. And so it was first and foremost a personal thing that then became relational because in my exuberance, I wanted people to find him the way I had found him. And there's a dear friend of ours, you know, Malcolm Smith, and the analogy he used, and it just struck my heart, was the Bible is the menu, uh, but it points to the meal. And if we become enamored with the menu, we're not going to get full. We're going to be hungry. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what I've done. And the sad reality was that that's what I was doing to other people. Yes. <laughs> so instantly it became, no, 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 you've got to find Jesus. And so I stood up on a Sunday morning and and I said, I have to tell you something. I We've been doing church all wrong. And I apologize to you. Uh, we're going to start doing it right. And I'll never forget a guy came up to me and he said, did you just get saved? Were you, <laughs> were you an unbelieving pastor? You know, I've wondered that for years, Frank. <laughs> and I, you know, I had to say to him, no, I was an incomplete pastor. I, I had a partial gospel. And of course, he eventually left the church, couldn't understand where I was coming from. And, uh, and, and you know, John, that's the interesting thing. I simply gave what I had. I didn't have very much. I had a teaspoonful, you know, but I wanted others to taste from that spoon. And as a, as a, as a teacher, I had to do that. But I was very ignorant of what I had in those early days. I couldn't communicate it effectively as, as well as I, I do now. And so I probably muddied the waters, but I would probably put it this way. I brought to the table what I had. Yes. And I wanted others to taste what I had. You know, you mentioned that, Frank, and I'm sitting here thinking you knew so little but just like Peter and John at the temple, I'm going to give you what I have. And this is an encouragement to our listeners because only the Holy Spirit knows how far along you're on, on your journey you are with him. And we tend to think that we have to be able to answer these top 25 questions. We have to know uh, the verses that support Christ's life. We have to be comfortable with them. None of that is true. All we have to do is trust Jesus in us, trust his life in us to speak. And so you and I both didn't understand much when we first began. 
but we gave what we had. We probably caused more questions to be asked than we answered, than were answered. Yeah. But for oh, yeah. but the most important thing is that, hey, the questions were asked and people were thinking and we didn't know all the answers, but we know who knew them. And so that's an encouragement to all of us. Uh, be bold to speak up, share what you know, even if you don't know much, because there's, there's a God inside of you who is the teacher, who will use even your most bumbling, confusing statements to trigger life in someone. Yeah, if we waited until we had it all together, nobody would ever hear. That's right. Uh, it's and so I, I I I would kind of say you know if it no matter where the conversation goes, no matter whether you're able to give the answers or not, or explain like you want to explain, end the conversation by saying Jesus is alive, and He's living in you, and He wants to be more to you than you're willing to let Him be. Uh, choose to let him be and find him in a way you never knew him. And if, if we would just do something like that, uh, that would be enough, you know? Yes. But it takes, it takes a certain humility born of the Holy spirit uh, for us to admit what we don't know, but to freely offer what we do know, knowing that there will be some who will reject us because we can't answer all of their questions you know the 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 bible worshipers the the studiers will have more questions than than we and our listeners can possibly answer that's right you know because the enemy fuels those questions and as well no matter what you think about the enemy he is absolutely brilliant mm -hmm. he's smarter than i am even frank smarter than you and he knows how to plant questions in people's minds to distract them to lead them in a different direction so they don't see the truth. All right. Your philosophy began to change as a man. Your philosophy began to change as a pastor. As a lead position in a church like that, there were some decisions that you made and some things that you chose to do because of your growing understanding of Christ as your life. Can you talk about some of those? What were the first few things you did? Uh, what flopped and what bore much fruit in your eyes? I think, John, looking back on it, the sovereignty of God working in my life had uh, led me to teach the gospel of John. And so when I had that dynamic encounter with the Holy Spirit and he opened my eyes that you know, I had been teaching that I had died in Christ, but it was positional. I had been teaching that I was resurrected, but it was positional. Right. And positional truth, of course, means it's kind of the way God sees it, but it's not the way it really is. Well, there's no such thing as positional truth. There's only truth. And when I saw it as actuality, it was, I could, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm in the gospel of John. Well, John is the new covenant gospel. So I was forced to bathe in a gospel that affirmed what I had come to know and believe. Um, if I maybe just do this real quick, John, but it's, it's so dynamic. 
Genesis begins in the beginning. Well, John begins in the beginning. And there's your first clue. The Holy Spirit's like, do you see it? Do you see it? <laughs> and then in the beginning, God created. John 1, 3, Jesus created. He created all things. Genesis created life and light in John. And then you go to Genesis and you see seven days. Well, in John chapter one, there's seven days. In Genesis, the seventh day is the day of rest. In John, the seventh day is the wedding in Cana. And there he makes new wine. Wine always the symbol of life. He didn't make the wine in the wineskins that were now empty. He made the wine in the ceremonially cleansing water pots, religion. And he said, fill those pots with water. I'm going to make wine. And it was a declaration of war on religion. Religion is coming to an end. And so I went back through John and I was looking and went, oh my goodness, born again, Nicodemus. That's why that's not the other gospels. The Samaritan woman. If you only knew who was talking to you, sweet lady, you'd ask me for water and I'd give you living water. You'd never thirst again. That's not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then the paralytic, the John 6, the I am the bread of life. And John 7, the spirit will satisfy any thirst you have and rivers of living. And I went, oh my goodness, I'm in the new covenant gospel. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke was where the New Testament begins, but the new covenant teaching began in the gospel of John. So I was allowed the privilege of just bathing in John, this new life gospel, the new beginning, as he had, the Holy Spirit had shown it to us in the beginning, in the beginning. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I got saturated with uh, an understanding that I didn't have before. So that was probably the most dynamic thing. And sitting um, in the congregation and listening under you, the messages were profoundly different. Not because you could speak better or because you use better language or your illustrations were excellent, but the heart of the message was at a level that I and my family and most people in that body hadn't heard before. And so it began to plow ground in us as well. And frankly, my friend, the fact that we are talking here today shows that we are the fruit. Our relationship is the fruit. This ministry, to a great degree, is the fruit of your labor in the Gospel of John and him working to pour his life into us. Now, one last question. We've been talking about primarily your experiences, your personal and ministerial experiences there at that small church in Delaware where we first met. Next week, we're going to begin to talk about how we've, we worked together in a different church to, uh, to bring the message of Christ's life. But we've got a few more minutes left, my friend, and so I want to ask you one more question. Sure. If you had to give a piece of advice to a pastor today, what would you tell them so that they perhaps wouldn't make some of the same mistakes that you see that you made? Oh boy, I would, um, I would say two answers to that, John. One is when I saw the new covenant, 
I was so profoundly impacted in my own life that by having the freedom to say I was wrong before kind of empowered me with a, this is right, this is life. And so I was very strong about that because, you know, I, living under a religious facade, putting forth it, I'm the pastor, I have it all together. And then finding the freedom to say, I'm in the journey and I'm human and I'm not God, I'm not always right, I stumble. It was so freeing that I, I came on very strong. And I, the one thing I would do differently is I would, instead of saying, look at this, I would maybe say, hey, have you considered this? Uh, look what I'm seeing, present tense. Um, what do you think about this? And sort of inviting people into questioning themselves. Um, have we believed completely, fully in what the New Testament is teaching? So maybe do it as an invitation instead of a proclamation. And then the second thing, as you and I know, this this life is not just taught, it's probably more correctly caught. And that was one of the things I did when we got to the new church was we got together in small groups to introduce others to it, not on the Sunday morning, but in an atmosphere where we could uh, question together and dig together. And I didn't do that enough at Berean before I left. I think I was only there another 18 months. And looking back, that was one of the big mistakes. I didn't do the small group where people caught it enough so that there would have been more people there to continue to battle the good fight of faith. And if I can add one more thought, I gave them an idea, gave them thoughts of what kind of pastor to call. And the next gentleman they called, uh, and I found this out because one of the guys who did find life called me and told me what was happening. They asked him this question. Uh, people come to the pastor when they struggle. Who does the pastor go to when he struggles? This dear man's answer was, I have the word of God and my wife. I don't need anyone. And unfortunately, that was the man they called. Um, there weren't enough people there to detect. Um, oh, and I'm not being critical. Please don't hear me be critical. But the, the independent spirit, the pride of being right, um, there were some people there that did catch it, but not enough to quench the vote to bring him there. And the law came in with him and the law ministered its death and the church lost a lot of people. So those are um, probably the two main things I would say to res in response to that, John. Well, the law does kill. It does condemn. And it really doesn't do anything else except that. So we always must be on guard. One thought that came to mind, my friend, while you were talking, 
and it relates a little bit to the the culture that we see today in in the modern church we tend to be a very fast-paced society with the idea that if you can't speak your truth in a meme or in a in a one minute video it's not worthy and no one will listen to it well the quick hit like that in my experience and i know in yours isn't always very fruitful it takes a lifetime of what we have called together trickle irrigation slowly watering the body with the truth before you can build a robustness uh, in the spirit in these believers so that when turmoil comes and it always does they can stand firm and hold on to their freedom we're going to talk about that next week when we begin our discussions on what happened in baton rouge so folks until next time, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget to check us out on our website, ourresolutehope.com. Follow us on our social media platforms. Frank, any last words before I give them our final call sign? Life is found in a person, <laughs> and his name is Jesus. That's right. And remember, choose hope, choose Jesus. Till next time. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today, and you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.